I think all humans, particularly athletes, exist through their ability to feel their way through the world. You know, they feel the greatest performances that they've ever had. I mean, every athlete I've ever met, they can talk so in such a detailed way about their experience of what that perfect race or that perfect effort felt like um, and what went into it. And if you, if with the way that we look at it, you know, the science of feel is about managing the dialogue between body and mind. Um, it's, it's not that one drives the other, it's they both drive each other. And so any, any act of performance is, is about um, taking the cap off your perception of what the limit might be. Well, hello there, folks, and welcome to the Supporting Champions podcast. My name is Steve Ingham, and it's an absolute pleasure to welcome you along to this episode where, once again, we're going to be sharing some insights, some ideas, and interviews from the world of performance. That is, whether you're just getting to grips with it for the first time, whether you've been there and done it, or you're just trying to make sense of what you've just been through, then uh, we think you'll find some interesting ideas here to develop your philosophies, your work, and what you're trying to influence. And so to this week's guest interview with Dr. Tom Waller. Now, I first met Tom in 2007 when he was a PhD student at the Sports Technology Institute at Loughborough University, where I collaborated with him in the lead up to the Beijing Olympics. Uh, he then went on to become head of research and development at Progressive Sports Technologies and then on to Speedo as head of Aqualab at a time that the skin suits were at their peak of their impact on world records in swimming. But now Tom is Senior Vice President of White Space at Vancouver-based athletic apparel company Lululemon Athletica, where Tom heads up a team of innovators and experts inventing the company's products. In this interview, Tom shares his philosophies about innovation, how critical it is to engage with user needs, uh, demonstrating his enormous capability for lateral thinking, depth of understanding and communication of some really novel concepts and what the future might bring in the science of feel. This was a captivating discussion. I learned so much about how we move, how we behave, how we perceive ourselves in different contexts. And while Lululemon partnered with our conference back in 2018, without any specific inducements, uh, I now have a much greater appreciation of why, with the quality of forethought and ambition that goes into their work, of why they're close clothing feels so amazing to wear. Uh, Tom Waller, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Lovely to be here. It's been great to track your journey from when we first met at Loughborough University and you're a postgrad, I think it was, but, but now that you're innovating at a really high level in a corporate environment and and retail environment over at uh, lululemon um I'm, I'm fascinated to hear more about the challenges that you've experienced over the years but tell us tell us the origin story of the name of lululemon i've just come across lululemon over the last couple of years connecting with you and and lindsay down in in london and so on and love the stuff tell us the origin story of the name well, the the name is a is an interesting story. I mean, it's as it's as much an example of everything about Lululemon that, as an originator company, um, they just 
they just took a very unique approach to how how they began everything. And uh, yeah, the name is a good example of that, where uh, as a small company, you know, a, a Vancouver-based, Canada-born company, um, tiny at the time, a single store, um, you know, in, in, in a small community within Vancouver, but wanting to, to achieve some level of scale, which would mean, you know, attracting a global supply chain. Um, there was a competition to, to name the company, and uh, it was somewhat abstract that, um, you know, where those names might come from. Um, and so there's no there's no particular logic around why Lululemon is called Lululemon, aside from the fact that it was chosen, as I understand, because the the pronunciation, the sound, um, made it made it particularly Western, um, because of the, the 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 how easy or not it is to to say the word. And so, you know, if you are attracting you know, a supply chain that was based out of Asia, say, um, there's a good chance that Lululemon would sound particularly Western. It would sound like a company you wanted to work with. Um, so. You know, partly that was why it was chosen. I mean, for a number of reasons. I think aside from that, just to, just to, just to be entertaining in itself, um, because uh, we wanted to get attention. Fantastic! I love that. That's 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 so innovative and creative. It it doesn't doesn't say anything about what it does, uh, other than it, it sparks interest of thinking that's an interesting name. I wonder if that's somebody's name or if that's, uh, that's a, it was inspiration from fruit or what? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I think it can be anything that you want it to be provided uh, you understand, you know, what our, what our intent in the world is. <laughs> Fantastic. So Tom, for, for people who uh, aren't aware of what you uh, do at the moment, can you just tell us a little bit about, about your background and, almost explain what your role is now sure yeah i um i mean i uh, like you say we 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 this all sort of started at loughborough university and uh i was very lucky i think uh i met the right person uh, at the right place at the right time and um really that was about um and you know, i did an undergraduate program in design and design engineering essentially product design manufacturing engineering for the for the Loughborough listeners and um, that's part of a, a, the Wolfson School which is mechanical manufacturing engineering and they have this research group called the sports technology research group that um, is becoming uh, I mean has been for a very long time world-renowned for what it's what it's attempted to, to do in the world and you know the kind of amazing brains that it's attracted and um, Professor Mike Kane uh, joined the research group in my final year of undergraduate study and it was like a light bulb went off for me um i'd always looked at sports technology and seen it more of an as an engineering exercise lots of rackets and balls and clubs and you know the sort of hard goods that were interesting but that there was something missing for me and when mike started to talk to us about human performance and and the role of technology in that it was yeah it was like it was like all of my my hopes and what i'd imagined for myself became real um i i'd, I'd never prior to that believed that i could have had a, a career in sport if i didn't want to take more of a sports science route or 
or if I couldn't make it as an elite athlete or, you know, or something like that. I just didn't know what my options were given the nature of what I, I liked to do and be good at. And so I mean, fast forwarding, you know, Mike, Mike encouraged me to do a PhD on the basis that we would become uniquely useful in the world. Um, if we, if we followed this path of really blurring the line between human and product performance to, to help people achieve their individual potential, which is you know, a phrase I use in hindsight, wasn't what we were using at the time, but that's, that's truly what we were up for. You know, he then became ultimately the, the head of that research group. You know, he started a company um, with, an un, with a, a mature undergraduate student called Progressive Sports, where you know, as I was finishing my PhD, they gave me the role to head up the consultancy component of that, which gave us access to all of these, these sporting goods brands. And the realization that so many of these companies that we were working with had something missing, and that something missing was a void that we we seemed to be quite good at filling and, and and what we filled it with was just this very diverse understanding of human uh of the principles of performance um the whole human associated what that means psychologically emotionally as well as as well as physiologically biomechanically and then layered on top of that you know a detailed understanding of a product technology, whether that's from a materials point of view, but also, you know, the mechanics of how products work and can inspire people. And so, what 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 ensued was we 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 did seem to become uniquely useful. And um, in that, I I recognise, you know, with a with a history in sport myself as a as a as a rugby player and then subsequently a a, a triathlete. Um, that 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 what I learned as leadership there seemed to work in the leadership of you know, the people that I was influencing in even in that consultancy that that then started in itself becoming attractive to some of our clients. Um, Speedo were uh, one of my clients, and um, what was interesting was that they seemed to have had this dramatic impact. So in two thousand and eight, with the introduction of the laser racer, um, they had done what what everyone we were working with was seemed to, was trying to do, you know, they'd use technology to just fundamentally change the, the face of a sport that not, not just doing that aesthetically or from a technology that told a story, but athletes were, were, were having huge gains in performance. They were, they were getting world records, winning gold medals. Um, and it seemed to be so attributed to this, this work that they had done. And, from where I could see that the, the methodical approach that they'd taken, it was real. It, you know, it wasn't one of those pseudoscience or placebo-based gains, and it was beyond marginal. This, you know, these were gains that were yeah, were yeah. quite dramatic. And you know, in a in a consultancy, what's interesting, particularly if it's performance, probably nine out of ten times you're telling people that the stuff doesn't quite work and you know, maybe with some optimization we could get there, but then Speedo were, were head and shoulders. And they asked me if I would be interested in going in and, you know, pick it, picking up the baton from where the last leader left off to head up their R&D and innovation team that's called Aqualab. And, uh, and, and, I, and I really couldn't resist the challenge. And, you know, I think it spoke to my ego, which was, you know, beat that. Um, and, then, and then similarly, I could see a team that... Um, 
perhaps there was an opportunity to codify a little bit more about what they did so that the whole company could be more successful commercially, not just at um, a games. And uh, so I joined that team, uh, went through an Olympic cycle. The, the best things that happened were all of the, all of the, um, the rule changes that occurred happened right slap at the beginning of my tenure. So everything changed because FINA um, decreed that, you know, there were, there were not enough controls on the technology and that resulted in you know, huge rule change, which I decided to jump into with both feet. So work closely with FINA and the, um, and the, 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 the scientific community that they'd, that they'd bought in. So influenced some of that rule change on behalf of um, the industry, the sporting goods companies. Um, Learn a ton about the, the transfer and transition of value associated with intellectual property and, you know, what it was that Speedo had um, within the R&D and innovation division versus what it had or didn't have in the commercial part of the business. Saw this divide and wondered why. Like, wondered why, because I'd seen this in other good uh, brands that we were consulting to, I wondered why there was this divide between innovation and you know, business. And it seemed like they were oil and water that they could just never really mix. And I just, I just didn't believe that that was true. Um, and I wondered what the mechanism would be that we could bridge that gap. And ultimately, it was, it was, you know, you got two groups trying to speak two different languages to each other, not creating the third language. And and the third language really sits in in a more human-centered approach, which is, well, we're all here for our consumer, for our guest, for our athlete. Um, let's let's figure out how we can do that together and everyone is successful. Let's make sure that world records are just as valuable as you know the bottom line of the business. And um, the, the secret source seemed to be communication and managing ambiguity. So I just built a whole team culture based on, on that. And that's what then ultimately, um, where I am now, I'm at Lululemon and um, I'd done some consultancy for Lululemon uh, way back. Uh, 2007 I think and I remember getting on a plane back to the UK thinking well these are these guys are they're either not going to be here next year or they're going to change our industry forever because I saw something in their culture that I'd never seen before a tolerance for ambiguity that had just never been in any of the meetings or creative processes that I'd seen and so they they out of the blue contacted me and said hey we're thinking about starting uh, an innovation team uh, would you be interested so I pretty much snapped their hand off um, uh, I was hired to head up product innovation quickly saw around me a company that was already seriously mature as from an innovation mindset point of view and thought well I better not call this innovation this shouldn't be the innovation team because I, I'm gonna get I'm gonna I'm either gonna get lynched because everyone's gonna say well what right do you have to own innovation or the worst thing that could happen, I could dilute, you know, our, our broad focus on innovation, and you know, certain certain people would say, well, that's his problem now. So, right. I, I called us white space because I wanted to be literal. I felt like there were a ton of white spaces around, you know, adjacent to the brand, even within the categories that we serve. So let's have a team that that finds the white spaces. Um, philosophically, we'll we'll integrate ourselves into the business in a way that I never seen before but I felt like was true um and you know that was seven years ago and now we've seen some pr 
pretty incredible growth and some really successful projects. So the model seems to work. Wow. Okay. There's a ton in there yeah. to unpack <laughs> potentially there. That was a hell of an introduction. What um, I'm keen to hear a little bit about that influence of Mike Kane as a mentor then, because that seemed to be a bit of an accelerant for you in terms of you, you coming out of your early studies and thinking, okay, we're next. Uh, but this is a person that's shown you a possibility. What was that? What was that sort of influence? And then I'm keen to also unpack some of that technology influence in sport and how you unraveled and, and managed that um, a bit further. But but first of all, Mike Kane, what was that influence there? Um, well, Mike Mike had um, on the back of his PhD from Birmingham had uh, launched a company to productize his his research. Um, and had dedicated that to um, you know, the development of athletes. It was a product called the Power Breathe, um, based on his background of inspiratory muscle training, um, and that's what he 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 and I talked about: the fact that a PhD can lead to you know, creation, and it could you to lead to uh, business. And uh, I found because his background as a human biologist just offered a different perspective on performance, that, that human side that it was somewhat inside me. I was, you know, a, as an athlete, you know, recreational or otherwise, was, was really interested in the human side. And I'd never really had access to that other than from a distance with sports science, sort of the other side of campus. Um, but because I didn't, I didn't see myself over there. I felt I saw myself in the, you know, the engineering, the technical school that I was in. The fact that he'd made that that leap, something connected to me. And you know, he inherently is an entrepreneur. Um, he loves a human first approach, and um, he was driven. He was driven. I think beyond the the constraints that you would normally see in an academic environment. And I just found that really inspiring. And I think you know, he will hopefully say and, and has said, I think that you know, everyone, everyone needs a mic and everyone needs a Tom in the dynamic that we, that we had. Um, you know, I felt like his right-hand man as he was building something. And I think that um, he felt like I, I supported his, his growth as a, as a leader within a university context. That's amazing stuff. So what I'm hearing already is a trend of curiosity and you've been trained in design and materials and so on and engineering, but it's, but as much as anything, you're curious about that human biology, the, there's, a, there's an element of technology, there's an element of politics by the sounds of it, as well as sports <laughs> performance. So you've got, you're trying to, you're embracing the whole as opposed to, well, that's what I do. That's my thing. That's my niche, my discipline, uh, your, your understanding integration. Yeah, I, um, uh, I'm a perpetual learner. Um, I, 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 I believe that I am curious. I encourage others to be curious. I actually, I mean, I, we're encouraged culturally here at Lululemon to spend a lot of time reflecting on one's own purpose. Sort of, we're a purpose-driven company. The company has a, a well-articulated purpose, and um, we, we there as individuals, if we are not clear on our purpose, then we can't really be clear about our fit for the company and give our whole to the company. And uh, what I discovered in, in a lot of the work, and this is I'm, I'm fast-forwarding many years of, of, of introspection and. Um, and, 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 and work, 
Um, but I, I've, I've discovered that you know, I really am a crucible for knowledge and um, I am here to inspire audacious acts. And so bringing, bringing, bringing knowledge from all places into one, one location and just seeing how those dots connect or not, and then sometimes forcing them to connect um, it just it just it, it unleashes these these new perspectives. It it opens up new conversations and new ways to create value. And I think, well, if if innovation, as as I would describe it, is you know there's an obstacle ahead of you. It requires an inventive step to get around to it, and then a new behavior ensues. Then you 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 you're you're either not going to be able to invent if you if you assume you can apply a previously known approach. You're not going to see the obstacle as an obstacle if you if your paradigm is that well that's the norm, um, and you're not going to be seeking a new behaviour if if what if what you acknowledge is that human behaviour can be changed, and so I think there's there's an important just association with this is a mountain without any top, um, and um, to be to be perpetually curious to to always be seeking to learn is is it's kind of that for me is the game i mean that i don't know i don't i don't imagine that i'll get onto my deathbed and look back and, and figure that i did enough I, I imagine that it will be well i learned everything that i had time to learn could i have learned more um or could have i could i have inspired more learning somehow and and when you talk about obstacles as a driver for innovation are you talking there about perpetually looking for and understanding what the need is so that you can identify what the blocker might be. Yeah. Yeah. Human need is always changing because, you know, culture is always changing. You, um, as we become more globally connected and we're more aware of what's possible, there's, there's always an opening for human need to shift. I mean, there are obviously basic human needs, but but how we express ourselves is constantly shifting as we become more yeah more more global citizens more more aware of our, our own individual potential and I think probably the the simplest way I, I I tend to look at it is if it's humanly possible then it's humanly possible so I just go searching for evidence that somewhere anywhere in some industry or discipline there is proof that what what should be possible for any individual is, you know, whether that's through extreme you know, feats of human endeavor at an Olympic or, um, or, or an extreme sports way or intellectually or um, you know, whatever, whatever that might be, there's usually an example. Um, you know, th- there's a number of books I could probably reflect on, but certainly Abundance by Peter Diamandis, I think is a great example where, if you look at the world, like human ingenuity can kind of overcome all things, then then that becomes a little bit baked into every decision that you make. Mm. Or or the opposite to that, or the antithesis in terms of true innovation coming from famine, where <laughs> actually there's a real basic driver. But I suppose the metaphor for a, a luxury product or a, uh, an element of civil society is that you need to identify what that famine could be or the, that driver could be. Yeah, I mean, for me, um, the, the primary constraint for me is time. Um, because 
it would be very easy to get stuck in a forever learning cycle and never actually create anything. And I think I have just as much energy to bring things to the world, bring services, products, goods, experiences uh, to people. And uh, um, that that comes with really the only limit there is is time. I mean, generally resource comes into it, but you you want to be I want I want to be um, testing our theory, our hypothesis with the world at regular intervals. And so we have to cram a ton of what we know into the cycle of what it takes to create that thing, which is you know, can be in multiple years. Um, so, yeah, there is always constraint. Absolutely, there's always constraint. But within that constraint, whether that's time uh, or dollars or you know, maybe basic physics, um, the, the, there has to be an innate desire to, to create and a dissatisfaction with the world that suggests that something should be created. You know, I don't think that there, I don't think that there's ever a good enough. Um, um, and I think there's plenty of people that are like that. I mean, every person that individually seeks excellence is is always constrained, um, but that doesn't stop them down or change that their belief. Um, mm. Okay, yeah, dissatisfaction is a good word about the moving the boundary, almost prospecting, looking for that that next summit, even though the summit might not be at the top of the mountain. I like that. So the so the interesting aspect of that te- almost the technology doping as it was called back mm-hmm. in back in the noughties and the two thousand Beijing two thousand and eight Beijing kind of games lead up um, that that's how, you know, so you're talking about mixing oil and water and you had different competing agendas for for a company there uh, that's that sounds like an interesting dynamic that is unfolding where almost you've got this marketing arm that's creating this product that's almost like a showcase for a, for a company, but probably doesn't sell swimsuits at the local supermarket or, <laughs> uh, you know, it doesn't shift the, the bulk, uh, profit and sounds like you're trying to bridge those or you were trying to bridge those and now are bringing those, those high end thoughts and ideas almost to mass market. Yeah. So often in our in our industry, there's there's this halo uh, model where we use marketing or event to tell a story of of the hero, and and that that hero's story uh, encourages us to fall in love with the brand. Yet the business is driven by the sort of the mass the mass consumption of being associated with the brand. So I'm not necessarily buying what the athlete's wearing at scale. I'm buying what the, the brand makes most easily available at scale. And um, there, there's, there's this interesting model um, that, that I use. It's Roberto Viganti's technical epiphany model, where if you think of you know, me, meaning on one axis, say on the X axis, and, and technology on the, on the other axis, you know, that would be, you know, we build these incredible technologies and there's somewhat of an arms race of, between us and competitors. And then we create meaning through the expression of our brand almost separately. But if you can create technology that drives meaning, um, so um, a technology that in itself you know, creates a behavior, it's, it's called a technical epiphany. That's what top right, top right hand quadrant. 
then then that seems to be where great successes happen. And I, you know, there's a number of examples from Nintendo's Wii against you know, in the console wars uh, against you know Sony and Microsoft or what Apple were able to do with their communication device of the iPhone and even maybe the iPod in in a world where you know, no one else had successfully married successfully married technology and, and meaning. Um, I I fundamentally believe that if you can connect um, uh, what, a, what a technology can do for every person, then people will invest into that technology, whether it's an article of, of clothing or, or a device that helps them to you know, achieve a certain way of life. And the, the, then as a, as a company, the, your role somewhat changes. Now your role is to tell the story of what is available to everyone. And in the the company that I joined, that was very much around not just tearing down you know, in say speedo days. That wasn't just about tearing down the story, so bringing the story aesthetically to to life elsewhere in the company. It was about plucking the technologies and finding ways to make them available at scale. And I think that we were we were quite successful in that at a material level so the basic fabrics sometimes within the construction uh, a lot of a lot of what we started to learn about how to fit and shape the human body recognizing that was a little bit more of a general need associated with wearing a swimsuit um so it's it's about it's about that reverse engineering of 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 greatness and allowing that to be individually accessible um, by all parts of the company and and codifying the, the tough part is codifying because you know I said earlier about language is key you know if I speak the language of innovation imagine I'm speaking you know say French and then in in in, in the language of business which maybe is English there's no point you know, speaking French to to an English speaking native I have to create a third language and that third language is around these assets that we can both be successful from. Right. Okay. I'm not familiar with Vigante's model, but that, that, um, I've now learned a lot. So that, so what I'm hearing there is the equivalent low, what's the opposite of a technical epiphany? I don't know uh, a technical um, it would be a, realization. It would be like a commodity. It would be, okay. so the absolute opposite. I mean, the, the bottom left quadrant, so low technology, low meaning. I mean, I describe something like toilet paper, you know, it's something that we, <laughs> we, we pay little attention to. Um, we look for the cheapest version of it um, that, that just serves our needs versus, you know, a lot of, a lot of companies will encourage us to, to, to buy into the arms race. So we start, we start investing into an item or a technology based on the, the list of attributes that it has. But the reality is if you really understand human, you understand that we make all of our decisions emotionally. So meaning matters most. We, you know, we're meaning making machines. And you know, if you can generate meaning hardwired into the product that you create, then that's what will drive a choice. And so the, so, where would it go? Would it go up um, or across towards sort of meaning or or in the middle maybe where your your opposite approach I'm sensing or certainly uh, a tangential approach would be about, okay, there's a premium level football boot that Ronaldo wears. Um, you should buy it as well um, as opposed to it 
there's an affiliation of that meaning as opposed to uh, an iPhone where actually that's enhanced aspects of my life beyond recognition. Yeah, I think, I mean, and that's the more powerful story. So if I have to use Ronaldo's name to drive a choice, then I'm, then I'm really, I'm using, I'm, 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 I've got detached meaning from the technology. So it's an association that creates the choice. So, well, maybe I could be like that person. Whereas, you know, if I think about the, the iPhone, it wasn't about who was using it. It was about that it would fundamentally enable a behavior that was innate. It was, it was like the behavior wanted to happen. And they were the first people that, that permitted it to happen. Um, and the way that we, the way that I look at that is if I, if I, if I go into real human need, um, and what do I, how do I, how do I get that emotional response? Um, I start to look at, well, what is it that's driving emotion in the present moment versus, you know, what I've been coded to do over the, the years of my existence that have generated my perceptions. And this actually speaks to a bit more of our, our current approach. So, um, we apply across actually all of our product innovation, not just in my team now. It's um, very proud that we've we've um, we've created a, a, a model uh, here at Loughborough, which we call uh, sorry at Lululemon, which we call the science of feel. And the science of feel is what we've discovered that if you get that right, you will create that behavioural change. So if you acknowledge that people are 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 seeking to realise their potential. The thing that holds them back is is often the, the belief in themselves, their perceived self. But we all have a desired self. And the companies that get it right, when you are in your actual self state, when you put a product onto your body or into your pocket, when the perceived self, desired self and actual self come like coalesce, come together, uh, that's when the magic happens. And um, we've been looking at you know, what is it that, you know, people will talk about the Lululemon products and they will just say, they just feel good um, or they're just so comfortable or there's just something different about them. And, and we reverse engineered that. And we're like, well, maybe our secret source is that we generally do have a feel profile that is unique to us. And maybe in that, given if I think about all of the products I've been involved with historically, it's never really truly just been about their physical attributes. It's always been about does the athlete believe um, because of this, this, the total sensory environment that, that, that they are immersed in? You know, does, do they get mechanical validation of, of their ability to perform? Do, do they feel fast? Do they feel faster than they've ever felt? And is that that can't just be um, because they're told that they've got 1% less drag or 0.01 seconds less it's because there's a belief and there's a mechanical or sensory validation that, that that belief is true and so we've been profiling all of the products that we've ever created uh, particularly from an apparel point of view and you think about it the human being would otherwise be naked and we attenuate this signal you know these tiny millions of microphones that are all over our body we attenuate that with the clothing that we wear that then results in a state, a desired state that we like. We feel what we generically call comfortable. And actually that's different for everyone in different moments for different tasks. And so we've been codifying that. And that for us has been where the magic has happened because we've changed what clothing means to people. And we've now thought about clothing as a technology that can create meaning. 
Um, and we do that in a sensory way. So it's just, it's how we tune you know, the way you experience your movement, the texture that you interact with, um, the way that you exchange heat and humidity with the environment. Get that right. And, pe and people can go, I, I feel exactly how I want to feel. And now I can go and do exactly what I want to do. Okay, this is fascinating. So the science of feel. So what I'm, what I'm hearing almost is this this sort of aspiration, positive for, point of view towards comfort, almost opposite to say removal of discomfort. So whether that is a, a, the tightness of a, a garment around your socks or your belt digging <laughs> in or whatever it might be. Um, well, there's and there's comfort. There's comfort in discomfort as well. Um, so what what we what what I would say is is. So, we, we will all describe comfort and assume that everyone is seek, seeking the same thing. But if I was to, to, to like go through a number of different desired states, so if you, were, if you wanted to, to feel fast um, or feel light or uh, feel powerful or feel confident, there would be a number of sensory cues that you would be searching for and they wouldn't all be the same and they wouldn't all be classically comfortable. You know, if you, if you, okay. if you, were, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, if, if you were, if, you know, there's something important probably about what a suit feels like in a business setting that makes you feel competent, confident in that sense that you're not able to achieve or can be interesting to play with if you change the materiality, you change the fit, you change the articulation. But some people don't want that to be taken away from them. They need what, you know, I would, I would be uncomfortable in a suit if I was running a marathon, but I would be, because it would be uncomfortable, yet it's, it's comfortable in a business setting because it creates this other sensory profile, this other desired state that I'm seeking. And, you know, we see that everywhere. You know, if you look about all of the uniforms of dress that occur in every sport for every individual, you know, whether it's the jewelry that they work and the rituals that they go through, you know, there are kinesthetic rituals that happen. And comfort is momentary to that task, um, you know, because, you know, if, if what I'm wearing on the starting blocks of a 100 meter race is not going to be the same as what I wear, you know, when I get married, when I go, when I, you know, when I go to the office, when I, when I, when, even when I go and accept the medal after I've, you know, after I've won, there's, you know, yeah. different situations require different codes. Okay. So that, that is far more complex than I was <laughs> originally searching <laughs> up. But no, I get that. I get that. In terms, of, in terms of relating that to sports performance. So whether that is, uh, you know, the super suits that, that strong men put on, that is, it, it, it's a workout to actually get the things on as it was for the laser suits. Yeah. You know, that was hard work to get in, but ultimately it gave them that, uh, tight feel, but it, it felt fast, yeah. um, for that body position. Yeah. Um, so, but, but equally that, yeah, you wouldn't want to feel completely free and naked if you were going for an interview. <laughs> no. Well, you want to feel. Some people oh, might. Some people well, might. Well, they might do. Uh, yeah. But no, and, and it's interesting. You can get it really wrong as well. And I mean, I've got it, I've got it really wrong um, in the past where it, we were asking that question, what does fast feel like? And um, there, there are a number of different cues that we're searching for you know, through language in, in working with athletes and um one of the there were two somewhat conflicting cues um language clouds that we were hearing one was this sense of tightness this sense of 
you know, an external device administering extreme control, like high degrees of compression, that limited movement, you know, that 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 changed the sense of like you know their 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 skeletal state as they were in the water. It was just like there's support. so much power, yeah. So if you think about those those early suits, you know, they were applying a lot of pressure onto the body, onto the soft tissue of the body, creating stiffness, which was part of you know the the secret of of then being fast, you know. Form drag is one of the major things to change if you want to be fast moving through the water. You, becoming a better shape is a really good, a good way to achieve that. It comes at a cost, though. And the other, the other signal that we were hearing was the importance of the association with the sense of water, the sense of moving through water, and you know, the, the the rapid changes in temperature that you might feel because you feel water moving over your body. Um, we we did a we did a different suit for 2012 and we got the order wrong. So we 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 put the hierarchy where we had the pressure that that extreme sensation of control over the sensation of water. And um, the reality is, if you want to feel fast, is this way? It's the other way around. You need a sense of movement through water as a, a higher attribute to. The feeling of tightness of control and structure of your body um and we got that wrong and it was you know we had a really fast suit that people couldn't swim fast in and not always because they couldn't they couldn't get the sensory feedback to realize the speed potential that we'd actually created so it was it was just again a really for me that was a really important lesson in understanding what is the hierarchy of sensory feedback in order that to feel fast you get the right one at the top because otherwise they all fail. Okay, so that that's my um, an example would be a tuck position on a on a time trial bike, for example. If you get t- in too much of a tuck position, it's going to feel uncomfortable. You're not going to be able to persist for the Ironman cycle leg 180k or something. You're not going to be feel comfortable. Your lung volume is going to be compressed. But you might be really in an aerodynamic position in that in that sense of yeah. you're weighing up the the cost benefit of each of the different factors. Um, so that's what I'm hearing. Yeah. How does that relate to like an everyday product with all sorts of everyday different shapes and sizes? Well, the the um, the exciting part of that is when the when the paradoxes pop up in front of you. So. When you start to see those, those, those two states, so there's a state of an extreme tuck position, a shape state that will create the result, but then that comes at a cost, and the cost is actual performance because of yeah, the, just your ability to, to exploit your physiology, whether that's you know, the ability to breathe or to put power down. Um, there, there, are, there are plenty of examples where people, you guests, consumers, will be describing opposing states Yet they've come to accept it. I mean, the one that we did most recently at Lululemon was was relook at the, the female support, the bra. Um, you know, sports bras are classically um, people select the best of a bad bunch. No one, no one will say to you, you know, no female will say there is a panacea of sports bra. This is the bra that I'm happy to put on my body at the beginning of the day, take it off at the end. I feel comfortable and I feel supported. Um, the truth has always been that, you know, I want to feel supported, but I would also really like to feel comfortable, to use the generic term. And th- those two were not allowed to coexist. 
So if you were if you wanted to be comfortable, you would be wearing a very different bra, you know, a softer structure, you know, maybe a yoga type bra or something that's more classically lingerie versus when I need to perform and I start to move at high intensities, I wear a highly structured bra with the with the with the methodology baked into that that it's trying to eliminate movement from from the breast during the activity. And um using our approach our philosophy we said well has anyone actually said well what does support feel like or how should support feel in order that that might encourage us to to develop a bra in a, in a completely different way you know maybe there's an invention or an innovation opportunity there and uh, you know, we characterized well what does what does support feel like when it feels right and it isn't about stopping something from moving it's about changing the rate at which it moves which in hindsight, it sounds super obvious, you know, but if you were to take a, you know, a structural engineering approach, you would probably land on the fact that we should make a stiffer structure and we should eliminate movement. But if you imagine, you know, your body is a whole system, you know, everything is connected to everything and, and, and everything should move somewhat in phase, in harmony. And um, if you eliminate movement from one of those parts, then, well, something, something's going to have to give you know, there's probably an anchor point that is extremely uncomfortable um or or you're you're taking that strain across a system that that would otherwise not want to or you're doing some kind of internal damage because you know that soft tissue the energy's got to go somewhere um and so what we did is we said well comfort seems to be associated with rate management damping and um support as, as, a, as a sensory phenomenon to feel support is to actually get them like the magic amount of damping during a movement that, that occurs. And so we said, well, let's build a bra that embraces movement that, are, that permits and allows movement to happen. Um, but the, for, for, for every person that um, uses it, puts it onto their body, they experience comfort in both static and dynamic conditions. And, um, we successfully did that. It was launched in the original one was in 2017, in, in, in spring of 2017. And um, you know, it turned out that we were we were really right and uh, we were happy to be really wrong. But it, we were really right. And we built we built a lower component soft bra technology that embraces the way that you move. Yet you still feel supported even when you run at very high intensities or do those high impact kinds of sports. And in terms of the the shapes and sizes, is that something that that being able to work at controlling the damping or or working with that particular component is that something that enables you to sort of almost transcend the differences in shapes and sizes? Yeah, well, it's a, for us again. It's about looking at what is the order of the critical attributes okay. and. Um, uh, so shape is an attribute, size is an attribute. Um, if you get fit wrong, um, then you know, n nothing else really matters. So you have to have a, an, an array of sizes that allows people to find themselves. But actually, when we start to get into then the dynamics beyond that, the attribute that makes the, the, um, the most amount of difference is um, your individual movement pattern so your gait you know which is just as unique to you as your fingerprint um that shows up everywhere in your body and um 
if if we and we we've built a system now where we can um, you know we can bring you into a store environment. Um, we can assess your unique movement profile, and then we can help you understand well, which of the bras would probably best fit the way that you move. Um, and we have an interesting layer on that, which is we've recognized that just because people move differently doesn't mean they want to feel the same. So we also allow um, people to state their preferences. And you, you mentioned it earlier. Some people are looking for that sense of freedom, that barely there, nearly nude or better than naked kind of sensation. And some people actually want to feel locked and secured and compressed. Um, not everyone wants to feel the same all of the time. And some people even individually want to feel both of those conditions in different, different scenarios or different days, just depending on their emotional state. So we have, we've built an algorithm that measures your basic support need, like the way that your body moves. And then we, we combine that with your sensory preference and then we bubble up the, the top three choices that we believe will meet your needs, your individual needs at, in that moment the best, um, which is great because now we allow people to choose based on a, a palette of sensations um, and, and allow it to be tuned to them as individuals. So we're increasing the chances that they are going to get their, you know, that, that, that emotional and psychological state of how they want to feel that day we're increasing the chances that that will be true hmm. and that's available in store it's it's coming we it's uh, we okay. it's well, just it's, say, it's extensive it's just rolling out now i mean it took us a couple of years to figure out how we can get out of a you know a classic biomechanics lab with you know expensive cameras and marker based systems to and bake that into a a simple, you know, almost disposable sensor technology that um, you know people could interact with at scale. Um, so we've been we've done that. We've rolled it out in a couple of our stores, um, and then and that will that will gradually be more available in the coming months um, and you know in the next couple of seasonal cycles. Okay, so I mean that that sounds amazing and really cutting edge to be able to take that to mass market in in a way that is. That, that is founded in quality science, um, but also adding that objectivity to the subjective. Um, so when I put some of the Lululemon stuff on, like the trousers, um, it did feel like I haven't got anything on <laughs> in some ways of, I, I like to lunge. <laughs> when I, when I, when or not actually, that sounds wrong. When I, when I bend down to pick up something, whether I'm a bag or, or whatever it might be, what I don't want to feel is constricted. I don't want to feel like I'm working against the clothing. Yeah. If you see what I mean? Yes. So that would be my interpretation of what I like and need. And so if I go into a store and I'm able to access that, that that's a, that's a technology that's mapping higher on that, and Gatti's graph of that's adding meaning to my 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 wants. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those that 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 would be a great example of uh, where we've been searching inside the language, inside your wants for for the impossibles. So your paradigm would be well. I assume if I wear a certain style of trouser um, um, pant, as well as I'd be calling them now in North America. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that 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 would come with some restriction, 
And and you wouldn't say you wouldn't often people won't say, oh, I just wish I had less restriction. They would they would just talk about the sensory experience of wearing that particular article of clothing. And we would listen to that and say, I wonder if we can take that away. And I wonder if if in taking that away by understanding, you know, how a human body articulates, like, you know, is it a, is it a, set, a phenomena of, of how you experience temperature or even the friction of the fabric as it moves just over the uh, over the texture of your skin? You know, if we were to eliminate the normals and replace them with something that's a little bit different, lower friction, you know, different amount of conductivity, would you experience something that you like? We don't assume that just because we can take that away, you will like it. Um, but when we do take it away, we then scan for do people react in a positive or negative way? And that would be an example. You know, the the trousers that we create where we've we've really focused on changing how you experience your own movement in them. And you 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 look at a style and you associate that style with um, stiffness and uh, restriction. As soon as you put it on and you feel freedom, it's like a switch goes and then it becomes a little addictive. And, uh, you know, we, we know people that have shifted their entire wardrobes over to you know, the kind of clothes that we've created on that basis that you know, they don't want to have a sensory compromise. And if we allow them to not have to have that, then then they'll choose our products. Yeah, I, I keep looking for a certain color of trouser to 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 um, add to my wardrobe. So if you could sort that out, that'd be brilliant. Um, <laughs> but I so say what I'm hearing there is that in the same sort of philosophy of determinants of performance, that that if if there's Mike Powell eight point nine five meter long jump, you still have to ask the permission for an athlete. How can you get close to that? In that sense, your chance increasing the chances of, of getting a gold medal, for example. But you've also got to ask the question, how how could we go even further than that? And therefore, we you're curious about the recipe. You're, you're then starting to think, what would be the determinants of that performance? You're just not talking about forces with the ground that propel somebody into a sandpit. You're talking about subjective responses you're talking about some of those kinesthetic feedback mechanisms as well as what do i like yeah well you think about so if if you know i think all humans particularly athletes exist through their ability to feel their way through the world you know they feel the greatest performances that they've ever had i mean every athlete i've ever met they can talk so in such detailed way about their experience of what that perfect race or that perfect effort felt like mm-hmm. um, and what went into it. And if you, if with the way that we look at it, you know, the science of feel is about managing the dialogue between body and mind. Um, it's, it's not that one drives the other it's they both drive each other. And so any, any act of performance is, is about, um, taking the cap off your perception of what the limit might be. Um, Sometimes we search for um, psychological limits through physical limits. So, you know, the the stresses, the stresses that those forces might create on my body that then creates a limit in my mind, which then in turn limits my ability to push my physical um, performance higher. So the people that accept that it's a bit of a it's a bit of a closed loop that moves in both directions. So now I can I can change my 
my physical senses, you know, the set, my sense of touch and what I, what I experience sensorially, I can use that to shift my priors, my perception of self in my mind, um, that then can open up a new psychological limit. If my new, if my psychological limit grows, then in turn, my physical limits become less so. So there's this, it's, there's this really wonderful loop that, you know, when we acknowledge that, you know, and I think a lot of sports psychologists use this a ton of, you know, playing with, with belief and visualization and that kind of thing. We're just saying, you know, it's not about the, 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 the brain, the mind, the belief system, just, just hitting perception and then getting into just a physical uh, approach to enhancing performance. We're, we're just not allowing them to be separated. It's that, you know, that body mind, that um, embo- the embodied or enclosed cognition of what's possible um, is is to constantly assess, you know, what are the sensory inputs doing to my 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 perceived limits, and and how do I shift my belief, which then opens me up to new sensory experiences, and then I rewire my my like internal story, and and that's where high performance can come from. Uh, that was an articulate explanation of what that. Uh, actually that was what was going on there so an example to link back to your previous example of of, uh, mike kane and the inspiratory muscle training device power breathe um that's for as a physiologist working with athletes to get them to do that on a routine basis is hard work there's an adherence aspect to that that they've got a they've got to connect that this this activity is going to help me but as soon as you start saying to an 800 meter runner, for example, that, you know, that feeling that you get at 400 meters in that breathlessness that you get, that's going to shout at you for the next minute, you know, that that's something that can be modified and dampened down and that we can make that less. And suddenly people are like, yes, I need that in my life. And I'm, it's worth me investing the time and the effort to maintain that particular habit. And then there's almost a self-reinforcing aspect to that, that well, when I do this training, I'm going to feel less breathless at that point. And that's going to, that's going to allow me to unlock a little bit more oomph in the final lap. Exactly. 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 Yeah. We, 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 we respond to those loudest voices that are, that are telling us to, to stop or that we can't do it. So if you can, if you can squish those voices, then you know, new, new, new possibilities are available to you. That's fascinating stuff. So can I just um, briefly ask you a couple of, a couple more questions then, Tom, about, you mentioned about the, the culture at Lululemon and tolerating ambiguity. That's a fascinating concept, particularly in a climate now in the professional sphere where, people are searching for certainty and deductive reasoning and trying to drill everything down to known knowns and we hear about handling ambiguity and polarity management and so on uh, tell us a little bit about some examples of how that plays out for you on a day-to-day basis yeah i mean culturally i think what lululemon has done is mobilized an army of entrepreneurs and what you know what you get in the entrepreneurial mindset is just is a is a is a is a desire for betterment is a desire to achieve almost at all costs and um with within another layer of the organization 
um, we're, there's always there's also this encouragement to to bring your whole self to work. You know, we're only as good as the worst thing that we all do, and so let's address all of those things. You know, we're humans that have vulnerabilities, that have strengths and weaknesses, opportunities, and we bring all those to the table, and then we're more likely to find someone that can support us in in in, in our journey to whatever our our individual potential and purpose might be. Um, you, we have a we have a culture that's built on understanding one's own purpose and then setting a vision and tangible goals for for ourselves that match or not the vision and goals of the company which often determines how long we stay at the company you know, as our as our goals take us beyond it then then that's when people leave and we we actually warmly welcome that so we, we just recognize that everyone is here as an individual, but while they're here, they're giving themselves fully you know, to the company. And I think that, that, that in turn creates this tolerance for ambiguity because we accept the change that's ahead of us. Um, and because we're all on um, purpose-driven <laughs> missions for, our, for, for ourselves as individuals, and we're setting quite long-term visions, in, we're encouraged to look at least 10 years into the future, we also recognize that um, patience, resilience is, is an attribute we all have to have because it's not going to come overnight just because we declare it. It's going to take hard work, a, a ton of failure um, and, and an awful lot of exploration, you know, leaving no stone unturned in order to get there. So I think that is a complicated secret source as it, as it is to unpack any culture. But I think it's that, that futuristic um, an individualistic um, uh, a permission that we all have that then coming together um, seems to move us all in the same direction and because the company works just as hard to set its own purpose vision goals um, as we do as individuals then when there's when it when it all resonates and comes together that's when we make great leaps uh, as a company and how does that in terms of somebody somewhere, whether it's the financial director or the chief operating officer, somebody somewhere is saying, this all sounds really good. And don't get me wrong by the origin of this question, but but I hear a lot of people being that purpose, that drive, that holistic thinking, that people development focus gets driven out when the bottom line is, is what's driving uh, a listed company, for example. How does that how does it get uh, heard at a board or executive level and and understood and recognized as valuable? I think the, the beauty of being an originator company is that the culture and the success uh, grew together. You know, they, they started together at the same time. So we were we were always always a successful company and we always had a culture associated with um Tolerating, tolerating ambiguity and seeking change in the world. And so when it's baked in, th there's nothing that's going to take it away. Um, at the moment, it doesn't seem to be a limiter to our scale and quite the opposite. You know, it's, a, it's a catalyst to our growth. So from the board, from the exec, you know, from, from people objectively looking at us from afar, you know, to, to really know us is to know that we are not compromising our culture you know, for business results, you know, we are utilizing, mobilizing our culture for business results. Yeah, well, that's a wonderful reframe. And I'd certainly echo that 
in with your contacts that I've created in in the London office, it's just infectious level of culture that I, I almost want to just pop in every now and again just to, <laughs> just to cheer myself up. <laughs> if I'm having a bad day in London, I think you know what I might I might go and swing by the Lululemon office and just. Uh, and just cheer up a bit. Um, it is infectious, and it and it r- seems to run through deep as a as a central core element of the people that are attracted to, but also um, that it's nurtured in in people on a day to day basis. Yeah, yeah, it's the thing. It's the higher purpose that that, that drives us all. It's um, it's beyond any one of us, but it's it's certainly what keeps us here. I mean, I'll often joke. Um, that uh, Lululemon is a little bit like being pregnant. You can't be half Lululemon. Um, there is, there is, there is something about, yeah, h- how infectious it is, particularly to the people that just see life in a similar way to us. That it's that it's ours for the taking, um, and you know, that we recognise we're, we're part of and in, and and enjoy inspiring and are inspired by the communities that we serve. So. It keeps us, we're grounded and at the same time, you know, striving to create. Mm. Oh, that's an interesting one. So, so there's, is there a danger then that there's a silo thinking in the sense that if you're recruiting people like you or of a similar mindset, that it doesn't tolerate the renegade or the, 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 the somebody that can challenge the culture that, that just means it gets to look at the world in a different way. Yeah, it could be if all we did was try and hire people like us. So if we, if if the people that we were hiring, we could see um, the way that we got there in them, then that would be limiting. But if we can, if we can see a, a broader, a higher level, a, a philosophy on life, but a different version, then that's exciting. So certainly for me, you, my my search for. Um, for diversity is to find people that want the outcome associated with life that I also seek, but that are able to achieve that in a completely different way. So when I, when I bring them in now, I've just added greater diversity to, to our team, to our culture so that the culture can, can evolve. Um, but, 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 um, Almost, you know, standing on. We're here. I mean, there's 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 that saying that the New Zealand All Blacks will will talk about. You know, make make the shirt great. You know, I think that if you take the view that what when you come to the com- a company like Lululemon, you're not here to um, fit the profile. You're there to take what already exists and evolve it to make it even better. Um, rather than it's not about taking the playbook out of your back pocket and say, I think Lou Lemon should work this way because I think this way is better. It's about you know, allowing, allowing Lou Lemon to become part of you. It probably already is because you know, you've joined the company and then bringing the thing that you, that, that Lou Lemon didn't have, which was you, it didn't have you before, before you joined and then allowing that to you know, be additive. Love that. So looking for that alignment to the, to purpose values and so on as opposed to the conformity of process yes that's what i'm yes meant. okay yes all right well it's fascinating stuff so your purpose did i hear it right as inspire audacious acts yeah to be a crucible for knowledge and to inspire audacious acts 
I need to get me one of those. That's, <laughs> that's amazing. And and so what's next for you then, Tom, if you're encouraged to look forward for uh, 10 years or so, uh, whether it's in the role or on a personal level, what's next for you? Um, it's, to, it's to continue to explore what that vehicle is for for finding just these great minds and these great entrepreneurs and these great active human beings that 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 share the same beliefs as as me but 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 are willing to step up and step up and step up you know there's 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 i mean even at lululemon there's there's a there's the brand and then there's the company and the company can still has potential to evolve and grow as it becomes more and more an expression of the brand um and then you know if i just said it a little bit at the beginning of of the talk where if i if i reframe the industry that we're in if 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 sometimes we won't be referred to as we're in we're in sporting goods industry and i would say well Hang on a minute. If I if I really assess the competencies, the assets that the company has, I would say we're a health company. And if we're a health company, um, then then what have we built in order that we truly are offering the services of a health company to our consumers and consumers that don't know that that they should be working to use use lululemon within their lives so i just see i just see immense potential i i you know we're i i'm pretty sure we're we're less than 10 percent of the way towards what we could become and so for me it's about making sure that you know i'm pushing people you know from the 10 percent to 20 percent 30 and you know i doubt very much in my lifetime we'll hit 100 percent. but at least if my legacy can leave the momentum towards whatever that potential might be for brands like us, people that live live in this industry and are searching and, and and striving to help every individual human achieve their potential. That that's that's by hook or by crook. That's 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 what I that's what I'm up for and and searching for the best vehicles, partners, brands, and industries to be able to do that. Phenomenal stuff. Uh, I I can see behind you this air. Uh... There's a board that says nerd. I can't quite, I can't quite see the text underneath it. Uh, what does it say there, it, Tom? It's nerd, the definition, the noun. It says uh, an intellectual badass. <laughs> well, it's almost like you're quite a philosophical existential nerd. Uh, maybe, I can, maybe I can graffiti it one day. Um, I, I've loved the conversation. It's been a rich deep but philosophical learning experience for me but I've, I've really appreciated you you sharing your insights with us thank, thank you. you so much tom no, thank where, you where can where can people find more from you and or lululemon um for me i'm a uh, i'm a i'm a uh, an avid user of linkedin i love to grow my network and and have conversations in the deepest darkest corners of the world so yeah i'd love for people to to make contact there um the best way to experience lululemon really is like like you've experienced just get into a store meet meet the community meet the people that we that we inspire um you know, we have we have a global web presence and a global retail presence uh, the magic happens when when human connections take place so Come and find us. Come and visit me in Vancouver. I'm always up for taking visitors. Wonderful. 
Thank you so much, Tom. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. fascinating interview i'm sure you'll agree if you'd like to connect with tom then do look him up on linkedin and you can follow us on twitter the wider team at support underscore champs and me at ingham underscore steve and you can follow us on facebook youtube and instagram and subscribe through the website supportingchampions.co.uk and if you're feeling like supporting and championing us then please do leave a review on itunes 